You're listening to the SHL Smart Teams Podcast, a show where we invite experts on people science to talk about how to build a future where businesses thrive because their people thrive. Good morning, good afternoon. Thank you for joining SHL's Talent Talks podcast. My name is Edgar Zapata, and today we'll be talking about hiring tech talent, what you need to know, and why it is so important. I'm a business development director here at SHL. I've been with the organization for just a little bit over four years, and I specialize in our technology hiring solution suite, which includes our coding simulation, our IT skills tests, and our live video interview with a coding simulation within the platform as well. I'm really excited today to be joined today by Angus McIntosh, and I'll let him introduce himself. Hi there, Edgar. Um, yeah, my name is Angus McIntosh, and uh, I'm currently a principal consultant at Orange Quarter in Amsterdam which is uh, kind of a fancy title, but basically what we do is work with uh, technology companies and scale-ups in uh, in Europe, and we hire tech talent for them in areas around everything from cloud engineering to machine learning to product management, um, essentially. So I've been here for about three and a half years, and uh, yeah, I've seen, uh, I've got the the war stories to tell you today. So it's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Well, thanks so much for carving out some time today on this, uh, this talent talk and really excited to be sharing um, with you some of that information and really wanted to get some information from you and, and just get a better understanding of what you have been seeing or hearing from clients um, in the marketplace and why it's so challenging um, you know, to, to hire the right tech talent at these organizations. Obviously, there's been such a explosion in terms of, you know, um, digital growth and finding the right tech talent can be such a, a challenging thing to do. Um, what have you been seeing and hearing um, amongst those organizations? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's always been difficult. I think firstly, because there is still a, you know, a large skills gap in, in terms of people coming through who are learning com computer programming, doing computer science at, at university. Um, which still needs to be made up. So we're getting there slowly but surely. Um, but I, I think, yeah, speaking from experience, we deal a lot with companies in, in the likes of Amsterdam, Berlin, Barcelona, um, for example. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, these are tech hubs. So people kind of gravitate towards these centers. Um, you know, you have a lot of bigger companies here, like, you know, your Netflixes and Ubers and stuff of the world. And so... When you have companies in these cities, they're usually quite attractive places to work. So, um, you know, other companies are then also competing against the likes of these these bigger organizations for, uh, yeah, for, for the talent as well. So um, everyone's looking for that special uh, ninja, you know, unicorn person. And, and uh, it's it's difficult to find. Right. I, and I love that you just brought up the fact that, you know, obviously there's all these tech hubs and I've done some reading, you know, over the last, you know, few months about the, you know, the tech hubs being, you know, something, you know, where typically that's where you're finding that tech talent. But, you know, obviously pandemic turned everything on its head and that's kind of changed everything because, you know, now people are able to work from home or there's been a lot more flexibility in that arena. Have you seen that change kind of, you know, the, the, the benefit of being able to work from home or companies 
changing, you know, the mandate of, of coming, having to come into the office and being a little bit more flexible or, you know, making that more of a flexible requirement. What have you seen in that arena now? Yeah, uh, definitely. I think um, there was a meme that was going around around how's how's your uh, company best been digitalized? Was it your CIO, CEO, or or COVID? And uh, definitely the the move to remote working and, and a hybrid model has been yeah accelerated a lot um, in in the past year. A lot of people over here are still working entirely remotely, so. You know, most companies have still not gone back into the office yet. Um, and I know some people are sneaking in, uh, you know, one or, one or two days a week maybe to see some different walls. But I think from a company perspective, it's it's incredibly varied. So some of our clients have already made the jump and said, um, we're going to be 100% remote. We'll hire anyone within uh, Europe or within like a three-hour time zone of, of Europe, for example. Um but then, yeah, if, if they want to hire people in, in all of these countries, then they need to go about employing them through third parties in, in those countries where these people are residents. So, um, you know, that's that's one consideration. But I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot of been a lot of flexibility for people to yeah go go back to their, you know, um, original countries if they're expats and stuff. And, um, yeah, work, work from home from there for a bit or work from the sunshine a little bit more as well. Um, so yeah, the, the main thing that would stop that, I guess, is, is things like visa processes and stuff. So, you know, you're only allowed to be out of a country for a certain amount of time before you have to, to come back in, um, for example. So yeah, it, it's a difficult one. A lot of companies are also still saying, you know, we don't know what's gonna happen still, how long we're gonna be away for, um, you know, what the majority of our uh, employees want. So it, it still remains to be seen a little bit what um, what happens, yeah. But definitely, definitely, sorry, we're, we're going to go towards a more hybrid model at least. So people will be in the office, you know, in the future, I think two or three days a week and then from home for two or three days as well. No, I, I totally get it. I'm, you know, obviously I work with lots of uh, different, you know, everything from enterprise to kind of mid-market level size organizations. And they're kind of on, on, you know, even from the U.S. market perspective, they're on the same page, kind of unsure which direction to go. And many of them have, well, most, I'd say most of the organizations I've been working with, while some have implemented a somewhat of a high, some have implemented a hybrid model, most are still working um, completely 100% remote unless it's, you know, super critical to be in the office. Most are working remote. But what I find really interesting is, you know, especially, you know, tech has always, at least from the U.S. perspective, has always experienced some type of uh, diversity issue. And I know we were just talking about a second ago, trying to find tech talent in some of those non kind of, uh, you know, you've got the traditional tech, you know, hubs, right? So you were just mentioning like Berlin and, and Amsterdam. So that, you know, probably the U.S. equivalents would be like the Bay Area and Seattle and maybe Denver and, and New York and, and Chicago. Um, and I think, you know, when you when I don't know if from a global perspective or from a European perspective, if diversity is necessarily top of mind or not, is, is that the case? It would is, you say? It's an incredibly important topic at this time. So I think, uh, yeah, Amsterdam itself, for example, has just about every country in the world represented as, as residents here. So these are very cosmopolitan places and companies, especially if they're, you know, sometimes having trouble hiring here, they will relocate people as well. 
Um, so we see, we do see people actually moving from all over the world to to these kind of areas um, because the main business language is still English. It's possible for people to, you know, come come and adapt and um, and and make lives here and stuff as well. So I do think yeah, diversity is important and gender diversity in particular is something that's obviously such a hot topic in in technology. So. Yeah, it's something that we're looking at as a company as well. Um, yeah, in, in terms of how we do get more women in STEM jobs, uh, I think it's something that's very important. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially here, and in, in, I mean, I can't tell you how often I come across organizations that it's either it's if it's not it's you know often one in two you know one of the most critical you know of most importance areas you know efficiencies and 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 diversity being top of mind and making sure that you're hiring the the right um talent at the organization but um you know what would you say when you're talking to these organizations obviously you know skills are you know really critical to the organization but are they talking about other non-hard skills or other soft skills that they're looking at um has has that evolved in your conversations are they looking at you know like communication skills or like other like leadership qualities or anything else that are non-traditional like programming skills i think um so we we work a lot with product development companies so um people that are generally you know trying to build something disruptive or, or innovative somehow so there's not a lot of legacy and maintenance and, and everything going on um yeah, on, entrepreneurship is probably like the the number one that I hear all the time. So people who are, um, you know, have want to take ownership of, of the kind of things that they're building, um, you know, they, they take that uh, that responsibility for, um, yeah, for what they're doing and, and they, they kind of connect with the business part of it as well, I guess. So, yeah, communication skills are, are becoming more and more more and more important i think especially as you say if there if there is remote work then you know the ability to for people to grasp concepts quickly um to be adaptable flexible you know these are things that are that are all very important as well um and yeah i, I think you know you, you need to show a bit of a passion for the company you're interviewing for as well it's it's something that companies do they want to feel the love as well um, you know, so you, you need, you know, you need to turn up pre prepared and understanding why you're interested in this position rather than just they do Java, you know, so. Then, yeah, so. yeah, you can't just show up with the hard skills and ex expect to necessarily get hired. I mean, I think there, you have to be a little bit more well-rounded, right? And, and be able to show up, you need to be able to communicate and show up in other ways at the organization. And I, I know that I read an article, I was actually talking to my, my boss, my, direct, my director at, at my current organization, and there was an article that came out a few weeks ago, um, I think back in like February, that talked about Google, right? And a lot of organizations aspire to be like Google and they were hiring, um, how they hire their machine learning talent is that they look for other qualities outside of just their hard skills, right? So they, you know, they look at exactly some of those pieces you talked about, like adaptability and flexibility and, and communication skills, because they were they were seeing that um, historically in the past, uh, what they called in the in the article, like they in some cases found some problems with like 
you know, lone wolf issues or like problems where someone wasn't able to communicate with 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 coworkers, right? And I think you do need to kind of merge those hard skills with some of those soft skills in order to get a really well-rounded person. And so I think that's becoming a lot more um, important these days as, as you take a look at a holistic approach of, of taking a look at someone. And so I'm really happy to hear that that's not just a U.S.-centric approach, but that's also your approach as well from the, from the European um, approach as well. So that actually leads me to another piece as I talked about that article from a machine learning and, and Google perspective. And I love your background. I love the fact that you came, you know, you're a principal at this organization now, and but you specialize in that machine learning area and that data science area. So a lot of the articles that I've kind of read and, you know, whether it be Gartner or Harvard Business Review, everything that I've seemed to be coming across over the last two years has really talked about how there's been this um, exponential growth in terms of uh, investment in data science and machine learning budgets. But I know that that also with those uh, growth in budgets could pose some problems. Give me some insight on what you've been seeing, what you've been hearing, and what your thoughts on that are. It's super interesting. I, I, the way I look at it is probably a bit of a, a timeline, I guess. So typically a few years ago, um, when data science became sexy, um, all these companies suddenly rushed to uh, to hire data scientists. Um, you know, they said, "Oh, we've got all this data. You can do amazing algorithms and mathematics with it." And you know, magic money out of thin air almost. Um, and 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 then these data scientists came into the business and realized that the data is all over the place. Um, you know, no one knows where anything is. You've got different permissions. Things are all hidden. So you really see the importance of, of data engineers then at that point. So people who actually come in and, and build the infrastructure that can support these machine learning models or advanced analytics solutions. Um, and I think, yeah, that's been a big trend in terms of where people are actually at now and making sure that they have the solid foundations in place first. Um, and then they can start to do more exciting things around machine learning and and AI, it's, yeah, I don't know, the buzzword seems to change every year, but um, yeah, in, in Europe, there was a study that came out last year that they said about 40% of, of companies in Europe that claimed that they were using AI were not, <laughs> or it was some sort of some sort of simple form of like logistic regression or statistics, which they um, were packaging up as, as AI. So, um, yeah, there's definitely interest from companies to, you know, market themselves as, as using machine learning or big data or, or whatever it's called. Um, but yeah, I think the, yeah, we're, we're just starting to get to a more mature stage where, where companies are able to actually, you know, really understand the business requirements, understanding where machine learning is, is relevant. Um, cause it can take a long time and, and often there's a more simple kind of analytics solution which you know gives you 70 percent of security about something you can make a business decision on versus you know 85 percent of a machine learning model which takes you know three or four months to make for example so um yeah it, it's it's just been interesting to see companies kind of yeah each coming to their own views about this but there's so many possibilities i mean we work with companies which you know someone makes like a Fitbit for, for cows and 
someone you know you can monitor uh intensive care patients in in icus and then release them earlier and stuff there's there's so many different um things you can do with it now that that are that are super interesting so um yeah it's 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 still growing a lot for sure yeah no, and I love the the feedback that you just you just provided. I mean, given the fact that you know, you know, all these um, organizations thought that they could just create this magic money out of thin air. I mean, if it was that easy, then all these you know, you know, uh, you know, organizations that were in the Fortune one thousand would be in the Fortune one hundred right overnight. And the reality is, like you said, it, it does require some 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 real thinking and planning, right? And you need to think about uh, the, there's the infrastructure and the planning, and it's not just as simple as bringing on, you know, a team of data scientists and machine learning people that know how to code. There's actually, you know, you need to build out the team of the the infrastructure people. Then you've got to you got to find out where the the data is, how it's stored, how the pieces are going to communicate with yeah. each other. Then you have to build out the data scientists and the machine learning teams, right? And then, we, and then we just talked about a few minutes ago, you get to have the right team of people that have the right communication skills or maybe the, the right leadership people in there, right? So that, again, those soft skills to make sure that they're actually working well together in harmony to make sure that those pieces are actually communicating and they're working well together, right? Because sometimes if they're not working well together as a cohesive team, then you're not going to have the right um, solutions being yeah. built out because those pieces are, are critical, right? So um, it's not just as simple as hiring the right, it's not just as simple as I got to hire smart people, you know, it's got to be, you got to hire smart people yes, that have yeah, the absolutely. right skills and, and, and the ability to work yeah, well together. You're kind of touching on it there, but data strategy is so important now because I've seen data put into, uh, put under finance, I've seen it put in technology, I've seen it put under marketing. Um, you know, I think it should sit as a, as a separate entity which can look at the whole business and, and then work on projects with different areas. Um, Cause it doesn't just report into one vertical, but yeah, again, this is something that I, I think people are finding out. You need that, um, that link or that bridge to, uh, to the executive level and, and the data team to be able to understand, you know, the environment in which they can be successful as well. Yeah. And I really appreciate that idea of like it being its own potential separate area. And I, I almost wonder if a lot of organizations have maybe put it under those different areas because people don't know how to, how to yeah. handle it because they haven't strategically thought about it in the right way. So they've put it under that finance area. They put it under this these different umbrellas because they, they haven't been thinking about it in the right way. And so they've, they've passed yeah. the buck on to someone else in hopes that it would be handled correctly. You know, so they've they've just, yeah, yeah, they've just transferred I, the responsibility to someone in, else in and said, "Not who, not mine to um, handle." He's a head right? of data, and, and he had uh, taken his whole um, like C level and an executive team. He he took them on a weekend away, and then he actually just taught them what data science was and how it could be used and everything. And then he, so suddenly, you know, he had more budget for hiring and and everything because you know the people at the top aren't necessarily data driven, you know, by, by experience, you know, they've gotten to where they are based on their, a lot of their gut instincts. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure analytics has played a part in it, but 
yeah, to have a data-driven culture in a company, it needs to come from come from the very top, I think, as well. Right. So obviously, you know, given the fact that it's become, you know, you said that a few years ago it became really sexy and that's kind of maybe it's toned down a little bit. Would you say organizations have gone a little bit smarter about it and they've kind of learned from some of those mistakes that they initially invested all this money and maybe they weren't making the right decisions right off the bat? And where do you yeah, see so, um, where do you see? Uh, well. <laughs> I think that yeah, today, you learn very quickly if uh, a data scientist that you've hired uh, leaves because they can't actually do the work that they need to do because you know none of the data is in the right place and stuff. So you learn pretty quickly at, at that point, you know what what you need to do. But I think yeah, now now we're kind of starting to see these three pillars, I guess, of of data engineering, data analytics, and and data science, um, you know, coming together. And uh, you know people op operating so that the engineers are more focused on programming, building cloud platforms, you know, on AWS or Azure or GCP. The analysts are probably a bit more um, business focused, so they're still using tools like SQL and Python and stuff, and but they're doing a bit more data visualization, I guess. And then the data scientists are are doing more, yeah, machine learning, experimentation, um, and and modeling, which the the engineers are then, you know, deploying into production. So we're, we're getting to kind of, yeah, third generation architectures. So people used to talk about data lakes. They now want to implement like data mesh is, is one of the latest things um, in terms of, of that sort of things. And then, uh, yeah, it, it's now just getting to a phase where um, you hear about ML, ML ops, which is machine learning operations. So it's about how do you actually productionize a lot of these models that are happening? Because very often the models that you make, I think about 95% of them never go into production. So, um, which is a lot. <laughs> so, um, you know, there it, it's about building up these, uh, these structures and, and combining it with, with ops so that, um, yeah, things are things are more automated as well, um, and yeah, I, I the the things to keep on an eye on are, are definitely these these cloud platforms because they're the ones coming out with the you know the new tooling and and automating things which you you know would have taken you weeks to do a few years ago, um, so you're almost getting to a, you know plug and play type situation with some of the services that they have. you know obviously these organizations have gone a lot better and quicker at you know seeing that these data scientists or these machine learning uh, representatives are not able to fit the bill um, you know earlier in the process but you know that's exactly what you and I do right I work uh, day in and day out with these type of you know SQL R and Python um, type of solutions at my organization your principal at your organization. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I worked with the financial services organizations that that uh, you know implemented some SQL and R and Python um, you know coding simulations at their organizations to ensure that they have a process in place to make sure that they don't hire someone 
that doesn't have those abilities early on in the process because the last thing you want to do is bring on someone at the organization that doesn't have those abilities day one, right? You don't want to find that out 60 days later, 90 days later. You want to be able to prevent that as part of the process. So would you say these organizations are using, uh, you know, some type of outside resources or do you still see a lot of organizations still depending on like gut instinct or they're um, doing their yeah, own type question. of like manual evaluation so what have you been seeing at your on your end of the spectrum instinct that, that still goes on i think you know people do have processes in place but generally i would say the, the bigger the organization the more likely they are to have um yeah kind of coding tests from outside from you know external parties for example um with smaller smaller companies i guess you know p companies up to like you know 100 sort of people type type range you know th they're probably trying to build some sort of a test themselves like one of the developers is designing it or data scientist is designing it and then you know they'll give it to someone and ask them to do it over the the course of a week um but yeah definitely like i think the any organization above that level is is probably trying to yeah utilize uh services like like those where you, you can yeah run and run tests over the course of one or two hours and people you know then you get a score at the end of it and and you can see how people have done yep yeah Perfect. So I know that um, we even talked about, you know, obviously you mentioned or this is like earlier in the in the in our in our podcast is we talked about, you know, having, you know, um, that the candidates should be passionate about the job. And obviously that's really important. But, you know, I think about, you know, another part of the equation is also like here in the U.S. Uh, from this perspective is. I think it's really critical that uh, organizations showcase that it's, it's a two-way street, right? That that not only is it important that the candidate show, like be passionate about the job, but it's also the organization has to showcase themselves as well. And they, they have to deliver an engaging candidate experience as well, because often these tech uh, processes often like you know a job a candidate might have multiple offers on the table or a, you know a tech position might be considering some other tech offer are you seeing something similar in your area as well 2.7 job offers on average um, at the moment so yeah and especially in the first quarter of this year I've seen it be yeah even even more than that so candidates are very easily able to set up you know interviews with seven eight nine ten companies if they, if they want if they're experienced so yeah these companies are having to to definitely look at how they stand out from the crowd and and the candidate experience is is very important in that so you know they're trying to shorten interview processes so that they don't take too long um they're also yeah i, I think some really cool things are, are like having kind of employee proposals or within the tech world, I know a couple of companies, probably not enough, but they, they have something called engineering notes, which is kind of almost uh, like a description of their philosophy, how they code, why they do what they do, which they can share with candidates. And then, you know, any information like this that helps people get like an insight into the inner workings of the business, you know, more than the usual job description that you see, I, I think is, um, is a big help and um yeah but the number one is usually time 
you know, if a company replies to you within two days and says we really like you and we want to continue, then you know that generates more excitement than than anything else. And if it takes three weeks, then you know you're probably not as interested. Yep. No, we say the same. We see the same thing here, and I, I love you know obviously keeping them um, excited about the process and in communication is essential. And even that um, additional description you talked about, I, I think we do something similar. Or we there's like our thought process or like our thought leadership here at SHL is like we do uh, what we consider it's like a realistic job preview, right? Is giving them an understanding of what the job truly entails, so the the candidate understands of what a day in the life looks like at the organization or in that position, right? You want to give them a really a true understanding of what the you know uh, what the code the coding uh, position would be like or what that tech yeah. position would be like to give them an understanding. Uh, maybe the specific to that yeah, organization. Maybe there's definitely. a specific culture at that organization. So that, any more information yeah, that you can give them is always helpful. Is, yeah, how how do you appeal to people? Because everyone has a, you know, a table tennis table and Friday drinks and, and everything. So you, you've got to stand out somehow. Yes. Yeah. And not only that, but then you were even mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, people, you know, organizations are competing against like the Googles, the Netflix, or the you know the Ubers, or whatever these massive you know tech organizations that often uh, tech candidates are often uh, considering, and maybe traditionally people aren't thinking about like a, a, a bank, which maybe people are, like a traditional tech candidate isn't thinking about from like a tech perspective. But there probably is a lot of tech opportunities in those in the in the financial organization, right? They have to build out some really creative ways. Of, of doing business now, right? Because people aren't coming into a financial institution like they used to, right? I know that for myself, you know, yeah. pre-pandemic, I wasn't going into a financial institution. Um, like, I, you know, I can't remember last time I was in a financial, into my bank, right? So you, digitalization has changed. And so there is a need for this, uh, for uh, programmers to think of creative ways for their platform, for their online platforms, for their mobile platforms. And so they have to think of creative ways to build out these um, software programmer, uh, you know, paths and how to give more uh, like career paths and, and make it yeah, more de interesting for those uh, programmers think, uh, at those like non-traditional ways. organizations more trend larger, more established organizations are actually funding their own startups basically so they have their own kind of you know it's they almost can utilize it as like an innovation lab sometimes but you know if you're in a situation where yeah it's very hard for for people to change things in in a bank that's been around for 150 years um yeah maybe it's not that sexy but if you if they've funded their own cool startup which has like a millennial banking app or something then people want to join, you know, that millennial banking app and, and work on stuff that they can deliver quickly. Um, so then, yeah, that's that's definitely, yeah, it, it, people are trying to have to do various different things to 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 attract people for sure. Absolutely. 
Well, perfect. Well, I, I thought I would uh, just really quickly thank you again for, you know, carving out some time today and having this really great conversation around, um, you know, tech hiring, especially in your area and just hearing a little bit more about your experience, what you're hearing, and also specifics around, you know, uh, you know data science, machine learning and, and, and that arena. But, um, you know, obviously, if anyone on this podcast has, has some more um, interest in hearing about um, other webinars or podcasts that SHL is doing, feel free to go to shl.com. And then, of course, if, uh, yeah, Agnes, so, if there's something well, that I mean, you my, want to mention um, on your end, so, feel free to yeah, we're, uh, we're let, let us know, let the viewers know it right now as well. Salary breakdowns, relocating to new cities, aspects like that, which I think is usually interesting information for everyone. Um, and then, yeah, we're also launching a new uh, gender diversity arm called Xena uh, Quarter, um, which is uh, pretty exciting. That's coming in, in the next couple of months. So that's going to be, uh, yeah, definitely one to look out for as well, I think. Well, hey, thanks so much and really here. appreciate it. I hope to have you on this podcast again here soon. And thanks again for connecting with us today. Thanks for listening to the SHL Smart Teams podcast. To learn more about how SHL helps companies leverage their greatest asset, their people, please visit shl.com.